right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And today we are fired up, man. Today, it's the most critical component of your suspension, the shocks. How to tune them, how to run them, how to race them, and what you need to know about them. And this is this is straight voodoo magic, Bird. Oh, it is. It's black magic. It's voodoo. It's all those things. Now, yeah. you know, to the right guy, the right, you know, tech engineer, you know, somebody's been around long enough, I'm sure it's just simple stuff but to us i mean whoa what all is going right. on in there because you know you take a car and you see them every now and then on the highway or the road right their shocks are blown out and they're just bouncing up and down you know like bouncing around i mean they're flopping left and right and you're thinking oh geez i, I gotta get out of this lane i gotta i gotta pass this person or back up <laughs> i'm always like hey man is this supposed to do that? Yeah. <laughs> you doing that on purpose? <laughs> uh, but shocks, man, are so key to whether it's ET, whether you're trying to, you know, click off a couple more thou uh, or road courses. You know, shocks are the most critical component. And a lot of people just don't realize how to tune them. I, I'll be one of those people, right? I mean, I kind of do, but I swear there's a whole like 10 more layers, right? The stuff that I just don't get. You go to road course quite often. What's the first shock you you want to adjust when you're you know hitting a road course? Well, that's where you know I think a lot of us get a little bit lost between you know when are we hitting the sway bars and when are we hitting different parts of the damper and then for what type of event like what type of you know coming into the corner exiting the Tight corner track, road course right like yeah. Whew, what, what are you adjusting, you know? And there's so many, obviously, suspension parts to, to play around with, you know, camber and things like that. Uh, but I think you can kind of separate some of those out. But once you start getting into the dynamics of the vehicle, right? You've got a, a center of gravity sitting somewhere, you know, hovering over your vehicle or in your vehicle. And as you do uh, braking, cornering, you know, or accelerating, uh, you're putting in, you know, kind of an inertia load and you're taking some of that and putting it on different tires, your vehicle's flopping over, your suspension geometry's changing, right? So there's so many things going on and going into a corner, right? You're diving, you know, you're starting a corner, you're leaning, then you're yeah. exiting and you're, you're rotating off the lean into, you know, sort of a back pitch. And so where in there are you trying to tune what things? And that's, that's where we've got. Well, I always, I always go, at, I always go one shock first. I always go with the, the front, you know, passenger side, because I'm always turning left first, right? So I'm always kind of adjusting that one, then the inside front, the driver's side front, and then I, if I need to, I mess with the rear. That's some road course stuff, but on drag strip where, 
You know, I spend most of my time, it's all about rebound and compression, how hard you want that tire to hit. Um, you know, whether you want to mess with compression, how hard you want it to, you know, stay compressed. And, you know, if the tire comes up on the on the hit, what do you want to adjust there? You want to go after compression. So, you know, a, a GoPro camera, slow motion uh, kind of camera on your phone, they all tend to help, but nothing beats having the knowledge that we have on today with Jeff Ryan. He's the, the main guy. He's VP of Engineering uh, at JRI Shocks. And I got to tell you, this guy knows it all. Oh, man. I'm so stoked to have him on because, you know, this guy is the player in shocks, right? I mean, I don't know. I started hearing about him 10, 12 years ago, and uh, everywhere you go, it's JRI, JRI, like any kind of top performance vehicle. This guy under his belt, five Formula One championships, nine U.S. open wheel championships, seven Indy 500 victories, NASCAR. I mean, you name it, he's into everything. And, you, you know, you go through his bio, and this guy started grassroots back with bob fox right one of the first like handful oh, yeah. of guys oh yeah fox right? shocks, yep. back there building with you know yeah. fox shocks so i mean he has been in the trenches for i don't know 30 years or whatever it is and knows all the players been in all the race series and uh you know knows it from the hands-on from the grit from the experience from being at the track from being a machinist putting these things together and the innovations and things that this guy has come up with over the years is incredible. So I'm, I am like mind blown, ready to pick his brain apart and uh, understand this whole black art a little bit better. Well, my friend, you left out one of his most iconic, legendary, and most unbelievable builds. They have their shocks on one of the baddest cars. Every guy that listens to this podcast, will, as soon as I say this car, this driver, are going to be like gooey. It could be like, oh. I know exactly. I know exactly what you're going to say. And I'll tell you what it Spit is. Spit it out, man. I'll tell you what it is next. Every single one of us has seen the video and gone, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get into that next quick break of the Two Guys Garage podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie V. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. We have the man, Jeff Ryan. He's the Vice President of Engineering for JRI Shocks. My man, Jeff, thanks for taking a minute to talk to us and lay some of your big, thick knowledge right in our friends here on the podcast. We appreciate you coming on, man. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Indeed. It's a pleasure, man. We plan on learning a lot. Uh, my number two lead pencil, my notepad handy. I'm ready for you, man. I'm ready for you. Um, a lot of people don't realize, I think, Bird, you'll probably test this, a lot of people don't realize how much time can be made up just by getting your shocks and, you know, everything working and functioning right on your car. I mean, from the sway bar, which I think is fairly easy, you know, there's got those some sway bars that you can soften up on the fly that are pretty nice, but shocks are money. That's so key to knocking off thousands of seconds in your laps. Well, we've all seen kind of, uh, you know, videos of like a trophy truck. And I think that's where it's really extreme, where you can kind of really visualize what a shock is doing 
you know, as it hucks over a jump, you know, 15 feet in the air, you know, traveling 70 feet down. And when it comes down, it just goes squish. Yeah. Right. And then just keeps on going like nothing. It doesn't even think about it. doesn't phase it. It doesn't bounce back up. It doesn't oscillate. It is so finely tuned. So as soon as that tire touches the ground again, right, you're trying to go for full traction. And that's what it's all about, right? A lot of times now we're so overpowered or we're hitting the corner so hard. It's all about keeping that contact patch on the ground so you've got the grip to either accelerate, brake, or corner, you know, whatever you're asking that vehicle to do. And that shock is so, like, detrimental to pulling that all together, man. And, uh, you know, Jeff, you can kind of jump in because... What I don't have in my mind is, you know, if you think about uh, damping a mass, you've got the vehicle mass, and then you got the suspension mass, and they're both kind of moving separately. So uh, just from an engineering perspective and mathematics, like, you know, which one are you trying to control? Body motion, body roll, or the actual, you know, springing of the suspension as it hits kind of bounces and, and uh, dips and whatnot in the in the pavement and all? It's kind of a, a hard thing to to clarify and put into into separate brackets but early, early in my career when i was using uh when i got into road racing which came out of fox i had a you had double adjustable shocks you had compression and you had rebound but i found that and you ran conies and i ran different types i was on indycar time at the team out in new mexico with gallus racing and allenser jr and i find at some racetracks i would have to use a shock that had more low speed control and then some tracks i used some with more high speed which led me during one winter during our season break to develop what i call a four-way shock and that has uh, low speed compression damping control and high speed compression damping control and also the same for rebound and what i what i've learned over the years is the car the mass really needs a lot of that more of the high speed to control and absorb some of that heavy weight coming down like on a rise or you go into an undulation on a on a road course on a car where it really kind of wants to bottom out you use that high speed to kind of grab it and take control of the car so it's not going to um, upset the chassis too much and i use the low speed to adjust to the driver and the drivers are all going to be different in what their needs are but i've always kind of looked at the low speed kind of in the sense of an electrical circuit where um let's say you had it you know, you've got a battery and you're trying to power a light the stronger the battery the more bright light you'll get with the low speed it's somewhat similar you can tune the feedback into you into you as the driver which you go into your hands go into your butt go into your feet of anticipating what the car is going to do and then letting the high speed deal with the track if you, if you think about a car on a plane of a car just sitting there on four wheels, if you were to push, push down on the chassis and move it around on that plane of those four wheels, that kind of falls into the low speed adjustment range. Anything coming up into the chassis through the upright and the wheel up into the, the body, I consider high speed. And once I developed that shock, I really didn't have any rules to it. So I... I kind of made them as I went, but it became uh, pretty much an industry standard in open wheel racing with IndyCar and then in, in Formula One, I was the first one to introduce it for about a decade. Um, and that's where I was able to start tuning things in and out of what the car needed and what the driver needed. So question, how did you break that down into slow and fast? Is it 
Is it, you know, valving? Is it, you know, certain types of fluid? Washes, what do you, what do you use to be able to distinguish between the two inside the shock? What's going on internally? Internally, I, I really look at, you know, almost every damper uses a nitrogen over oil design with a piston with, you know, round shim discs, which are basically a radial leaf spring. For the higher speed, I use the that radial leaf spring, and that's going to be determined by the mass of the car. You know, from a NASCAR to a Formula One car is going to be different to a Formula Ford and then to a dragster just because of the mass. And a lot of times also in the dragster, you, you have the energy involved. And I use the shim to kind of dictate the overall structure of the damping. And then for low speed, what I do is I use a little mechanism where I, I bleed fluid from one side of the piston to the other, which in turn is making that shim stack work harder or work less. So the more you turn it in and, you know, more low speed damping, uh, uh, primarily the damping is coming from the shim stack. When you start to take that adjuster out and let some bleed across the piston, it starts to uh, lessen the amount that the shims are doing and that affects more of the low speed. And again, low speeds typically felt more by the driver than the car. That's a really good breakdown. I don't know if I've had anybody explain it that way, especially the differences between driver. And we all kind of know that everybody's got a preference, but you know, how you even break down, you know, how you even tune the shock more for the vehicle side and, and the driver. Now you guys are known for being a premium shock company. So what does that necessarily mean? What are the content, you know, kind of content and build up inside your shocks versus a cheaper shock? And what are you starting to trade off uh, by going to that cheap shock? What are they leaving off the table there? Yeah, that's an easy one. I, I was, when I worked, when I started my career at Fox, the first thing I did was I, I was an assembler. I was in high school in 1979, and that was my dream job because um, I was an avid motocross rider. All right, Jeff, me too. Yeah, right on. That's <laughs> motocross racing. From, from there, I moved into their machine shop. And back then, the CNC machines were relatively new. We didn't even own any. All our machining we were doing on manual lathes and mills. And I learned my machining craft from Bob himself, really, and some of his engineers at the time. And so I considered myself, if I had to pick a trade, I'm more of a machinist than anything else. But it was all learned back then. And in doing doing that, looking at the difference between our shock and a lesser-made shock, it all comes down to basically your tolerance. And we try to keep a plus or minus tolerance on the majority, I'd say 95% of our parts to plus or minus three thousandths. And a lot of times it's plus or minus three tenths. With that, you're going to get the repeatability of the hydraulics because it's very, if you're just looking at physics to control any type of fluid, you know, a, a, a small leak the size of a human hair will make a difference from one shock to the other. So by, by reining in those tolerances, you get a, but a much better um, responding shock, where some of the, the shocks that are more mass-produced, they have a much bigger tolerance window. And they, but at the same time, their cost is less, too. Ours is going to be more because we're paying for that tolerance. And, and also the finishing that we use, so everything that's aluminum, where there's a piston to Teflon um, embedded piston band, we use a hard anodized, a, a type 3 hard anodized finish where some of the others are just using a steel and they typically, those bands will start to wear away. Um, it's a culmination of things, but if I had to pick one 
big thing. It's our, our manufacturing and our tolerancing. <clears throat> All right. So I got a question for you. I spend more of my time at a drag strip and, you know, down in Mexico doing a little racing, if you know what I'm saying, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, for, for drag racing applications, we get some wild builds. Curious if you guys do like custom custom shocks depending on the application and, you know, how severe the car. You know, i got a drag race car and I've got a street car and I can straighten my street car out at the strip. Um, you know, I could uh, play with the rebound and I can mess with how hard and fast that tire hits the track. Um, and when I want to control how long it, you know, kind of stays compressed or whether or not it comes back up into the, the fender, into the quarter panel. I watch that on a slow-mo camera and I can kind of control that with my compression, only two-way adjustable, you know, is all I've really messed with on the street car. Once I get out on the streets, it's a little harder to, to control that. What do you do for drag racers that's kind of unique? And whether it's a street strip car or whether it's some, you know, I got friends with 4,000 horsepower, you know, drag week, you know, showstoppers. What are you doing for cars like that? Well, for your, your kind of your sportsman class is, is a bit different than from your pro mod and your pro uh, pro stock. I, I cut my teeth in the pro stock. Um, originally, I was I I'd never really been around the, the the drag racing strip as much as I had with the road race, you know, compared to the road racing cars. And I was kind of thrown into it kind of abruptly and pretty quickly. Well, that sounds like a fun story. Whatever that abruptly and quickly is, <laughs> I'm sure it's a phenomenal story. <laughs> and that, well, it was, with, it was with a local uh, pro stock team from, from Mooresville here, and I took a shock that I felt was kind of our, our battleship of shock designs. It was, it was very efficient. It was uh, very dynamic. It, it changed really quickly with frequency response and so on. I, I didn't know perhaps what a drag car needed specifically mm -hmm. for just the use in that. And I, I put, we put that on and it kind of turned around. Um, obviously with, with them, the shocks, just a component on the car, the team had to, you know, work with it and tune it around all the other aspects of it. Sure. But it, it really helped turn their team around during a midsummer slump. Um, and I believe they maybe went on to win the championship that year. And wow. we didn't really tout that at the time. Um, as a as a product we were gonna you know jump into just because we just didn't know enough about it but it turned into that but with the with this you know sportsman we have a little bit of different um a, attack on it because you have the radial cars and then some right. of the non-radial and we and we have setups for that we have valve builds every shock we build is hand built and then it's dynoed and every time it's dynoed it gets kind of a birth certificate with what exactly went went in it who ran it the temperature, what the settings were, and we keep that. And when we come across ones that work across the board, we kind of make that a standard to start with, with a, uh, a, new, a new customer, for instance. We don't take anything. If a, if a customer comes up with his own build and asks us to put it in and it works well, it, it, we're not, I, I've always taught my guys, well, you're not going to put that in someone else's. We're going to work around that to work with the individual that might be, you know, looking for something different. Wow. That's interesting. That's what I was curious about. If you'll, if you do it for that, for that custom, you know, guy out there, depending on, on what he needs, because I'm sure they get, um, well, they get pretty uh, involved when you're talking big, big major horsepower. And you said 
the difference between slicks and drag reels for those that don't know a, a drag reel you need to hit you know you need to hit the track a little softer than a slick a slick you could you know you could smack the track really hard but a drag reel you need to come at it a little softer so it's interesting you're you're going to the extent of changing the internals and valving and whatnot just for for tires in certain applications that's big time stuff man all right we got to take a break now we're going to pick your brain more in just a minute jeff ryan uh from jri shocks back in just a second on the two guys garage podcast this is good stuff man It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have Jeff Ryan from JRI Shocks. When it comes to like anything damning, shocks, suspensions, these guys are top-notch, upper tier. Look at all the baddest cars in the world. And the one we didn't bring up, man, is one of the baddest videos we've all seen. We've all just stood there and watched in disbelief as Kim Block has tore it up in Gincana. Uh, what, I mean, his Gincana videos are just unbelievable. But you guys got the baddest one of all, yeah. that Mustang. I mean, that car was <laughs> unreal. You know, the funny story behind that, I didn't know our shocks were on the car until I watched the video. Oh, really? Yeah, he had worked through one of our really good Mustang uh, customers out on the West Coast. And I remember when I, I kind of ran around and danced and screamed because I, I, I wasn't aware it was on there. That happens more often than not. We have different <laughs> distribution uh, locations. And with those people, they're experts in their, their own area of, of, I guess, expertise in the type of vehicles they are. But, yeah, that was a surprise to me, too. Now, that's a very uh, hallowed video with us here oh my god Gincana 7 that Mustang it was so badass it was it was one of the nastiest Gincana videos ever put out it is one of those that it just god everything about it screams like I'm your huckleberry you know it's just like balls to the wall the entire time it's just uh it's just unreal man and to think that you're you're the shock that he's got on that ride that to me definitely says a lot you know it says because he could have anything he wants you know he could put any damning shock strut anything and he's got your equipment under underneath it i think that says something well there's some hell of a good uh video proof there of what it can do like from flying off curbs and going sideways and of course all the stuff that they're doing you know i mean that's a car that's barely off the ground and it's still catching air you know doing jumps full control yeah Oh, yeah, oh, the unicorn, man, the unicorn. <laughs> it's a good example of what I was talking about, of that the driver having being well-connected, kind of like a good electrical circuit to his car, being able to anticipate what is going to happen and how we can push it a little further. When you hear people talk about a numb, my, my car is numb, or I don't feel it, that's when your, 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 your suspension's obviously working, but it's not connecting through the shock absorber up through the chassis back to you. And that's when you, you need to do some work. But that was a really good example of a connected car. So speaking of connected, right? I mean, some of us have been on the track and our car is driving, right? And we'll go through one corner, it's doing something. It's going you know, through a big sweeper, it's doing something else. How do you, you know, kind of break down for the beginner shock tuner, uh, when to start messing with what on their shocks? For what kind of conditions? And I know this can get super involved, but maybe the first steps for, for shock tuning. The, the easiest method, and I still practice this after 40 years, actually, is 
making sure that we got the springs, the spring selection right, that we're getting the amount of travel that we need. We're not bottoming out and we're not topping out or, you know, going to full extension. And if you, in how we would do that is, you know, obviously we put a little band or something on the shock to make sure we're not bottoming out because that'll overload the tire immediately and give you a, a headache. Um, the topping out, you can usually somewhat feel, but friends can tell you too when they're seeing the lifting out of the fender so far. Once you've got the spring rate right, I then try to look at or talk to the driver, what part of the you know corner is bothering you? Is it entry, mid corner, or exit? Because you know with a with an anti-roll bar you want to kind of go stiff. If you if you could do it with your fingertip with a button, you'd go into the corner kind of stiff around the bar, start to ease off at mid corner and have it soft on the exit. The shocks have a bit of a dynamic effect. I feel ours do where it can give you some of that initial loading and it starts to bleed off and gives you somewhat of that effect. It can't override the anti roll bar by any means, but that's kind of the first clues I kind of look for. And I always look at kind of clues that the, the driver has to give me clues. What's he feeling? What's he, what's he doing? Um, a lot of times it's backwards. People think I need more rebound when you need more compression. But again, you know, watching autocross is, absolutely wonderful wonderful for me because i can sit in one place and watch a car do very aggressive um, acceleration braking left hand and right hand turns and i can tune from watching when we were in the and the the big the indie cars and so on you're just strictly going off what the driver's telling you in data it's a little harder to interpret how do you distinguish between the two if you were you know you were telling somebody a lot of times they think they need more rebound or more compression when actually they need a, more of the other. How do you distinguish between the two of them to, to that individual? Yeah, what are you looking at when you oh. watch like the autocross, right? If you're visually seeing yeah. a car, what's it doing? I, I do a couple of things. I look for one for if the tires get any traction or it's just doing burnouts around every corner it means it's, it's got way too much weight up front. And I'll, in a situation like that, I'll increase the front compression and reduce the rear rebound where people go, why do you do that? Because I like the wheels to fall out and be on the, on the, on the track surface. If you got too much rebound, when the car wants to, when you're braking hard or you're cornering hard, it'll lift that tire and it'll take that load, load patch, tire patch load off that tire, and that's when you'll get a spinning tire. And a lot of times you can hear it, you know, if you're listening to, um, to the wheels. With, we, we work with the uh, Formula E cars. And it's interesting there because there's no real motor noise. There is, but it's slightly, you can hear the tires. And again, I can t try to tune that from a distance by listening to what the tires are doing. But rebound gives a, a lot of control, but too much control is not a good thing. I typically tune if I'm having a problem in the rear, I usually adjust the front first. If I'm having a problem in the front, I usually try it in the rear first. As far as that, how much it's pitching, is the front going down too far? and lifting the rear or vice versa. When a car is loose, um, I'll typically remo I'll reduce the rear rebound to let those wheels drop out and let that, the, kind of the equilibrium of the car take over. Wow, man, I would love your notepad. Cause you know, if you're smart, right, you got a notepad with all your shock adjustments, uh, what kind of temperature it was, what, you know, what kind of surface material you were racing on or riding on, uh, all this stuff. but. I bet you're you've got mountains of notepads with just an immense amount of knowledge in it, man, on how to set up shocks and how to tune a car. Yeah, it, it, over the years, I, I used to keep 
catalogs of it all. But in you know, from when I started in '79 and really got involved with the, the open wheel Indy cars in '82, and up through you know now, the rules all still remain the same. It still has four wheels, has tires, never has enough grip, moves around too much, you know. To uh, so you're, I, I'm really, I'm really not battling anything new. When we went from plies or um, ply tires to radials, that was kind of a big one. And but we got a hold of that pretty quickly because we were doing it in the Indy cars and we were doing it through NASCAR, kind of around the same time. And uh, that 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 changed kind of a precedent for where you start a shock or what type of piston you use. But they're all lessons learned because you're really with a shock, you're tuning to the tire. Tire is king, and that's what you got to take care of. And when the tire's working well, you're happy, and you're gonna you're gonna run the car harder and faster. Now. Once somebody starts, uh, you know, you get your car and, and, you know, it's first set up, maybe you set everything in the middle or whatever, uh, and then you start tuning, do you find that the front end and the back end are completely different or are they kind of in the same range? No, well, sometimes I like to have them very much in the same range. If I'm starting on a car I've never worked on, I put everything, I, to be honest, on a car that's never been run or raced before, I make all four shocks valve the same and the settings the same. And I work on the springs first. And then what I start to do is I start to work on the compression first on the racetrack. And once the driver's feeling that the car's not bottoming, it'll be moving around a lot because there's no rebound. I'll start to add the rebound. And I've been, I've been doing that for decades as well. But um, it, there's some race cars I do now, you know, modern day formula cars where the front and rear are very similar that if you switched them, I don't know if the driver would, would know. I would never do that, but um, they're very close. And from my point of view, that means a very well-balanced car, but there's more to the picture. You got your spring rates, your ride heights, um, all your geometries, you know, like you mentioned, camber, caster, uh, Ackerman, you know, steering Ackerman, it, it all plays into it. But a perfect car in my book is when they're very close to being similar. Wow, man. Impressive. So what are the, say, the top three mistakes people make? They buy some shocks. They buy, you know, a big fancy pair. They go to, you know, jrishocks.com. They're, okay, I need the goods. I want the good stuff. And, you know, they buy some of your good components. Slap them on the car. What What's something they may not think about, may not recall to do, or they just slap them on and expect, you know, their car is going to go 10 times faster? Yeah, it's it, it happens you know quite a bit. Our, our our adjusters on some of our models are very powerful, and they they haven't had shocks perhaps with that amount of adjustability. And what they'll do is they'll put a pretty good handful of adjustment in it, and they'll run it whether it's a drag car, road race car, oval car, and they not necessarily might go quicker, but they'll feel that change so much you know between in their body and their hands that they'll keep adding it, and they keep going and going to for pretty soon you don't even qualify and you gotta go back right right so <laughs> car's so sloppy it's like yeah and we and we it, there's times on some of our adjusters we 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 have a way to tune them on their um kind of bandwidth of adjustment some we can make in at one adjuster two thousand pounds of damping at five inches per second no car on the planet needs that kind of adjustment range some people want it but if they'll allow me, I'll move that way down and put it into an adjustment band that actually works really well for the car. And we know that, and we know which ones need that and which ones don't. Again, that's just more of a legacy 
of knowledge. Well, where does that sway bar come in? Because you said spring, right? Get your spring rate right. Uh, and then you start diving into the, the shocks. Do you just forget about the sway bar or do you try to get that in there at some point and then mess around with damping? No, the sway bar is always a critical component. The, the problem is, is most of them, in a lot of the cars, they're not adjustable. So it's a compromise. Where are you suffering most in the corners at your entry? Is it your mid corner or is it your exit? And so, like again, if if you're if it's if it's pushing going into the corner, you know you can you, you typically adjust that uh, stiffness level. And if it's loose coming out of the corner, you adjust that level to maybe be you know softer, or yeah, kind of break over steer coming out of the corner. But it's a compromise because you you've got to find kind of the medium to entry, mid, and exit. And our, with our shocks, you can do a little bit of tuning to bring that bar into place to, to be a little bit more coordinated with the, the bar and the shocks. But um, if you have a lot of assortments of different bars, you really just kind of need to run through them at that particular track to see what you're most comfortable with. And unfortunately, you know, whether you're at, you know, VIR or Road America, you may require different bars. Typically, the front's always the more critical one. Um, the rears are typically softer, but they play a role too. But the fronts are the ones I concentrate more on. Is there any shocks out nowadays on factory cars that really impress you? Like that Magno, whatever it is, ride shock. Are there anything that the OM guys, that the you know the big dealers or manufacturers are coming out with that you know impress a guy like yourself? Um, I mean, the, the MR shocks, I was part, I've, I've been using that fluid for well, quite a while ago. We, we used it in the racing until it was caught and uh, banned. But, um, but I a, I, for a very short period of time, I had a little Cadillac CTSV that had it. And it did, but I just I've got two. one. Yeah, that's what I've okay. got. <laughs> I've got a CTSV. Yeah. And it had the stiff and the soft. You definitely can feel the difference. Um, yes, and, and a CTSV. I didn't want it to ride like a Cadillac. I wanted it to ride like it was underneath me. And you were using those right. P90 whatever tires to the limit. I didn't have it that long. I'm a I'm a Ford Raptor owner, and I'm pretty impressed with some of the how that's delivered. You know, with the, uh, a, a bypass type shock. That's more off road driven. Um, I nothing really jumps out at me. I mean, they're they're so different. Sometimes you forget when you're driving a car, I'm driving my wife's Jeep, I forget I'm in a car, you know, with, with bumps <laughs> and so on. It's when you got to brake hard is when you also need to realize what kind of suspension you have when it comes out at you pretty quick. I don't know. Maybe you guys have a good, good story on those too. Well, do you feel like, uh, you know, right, MR is the big thing for, for the OEs uh, delivering some pretty killer performance, right, on GT500s and you know, the new Corvettes and whatnot. Um, and man, when you see, you know, the previous gen versus the MR, man, you see some pretty good drop in, in uh, track times. Uh, do you think you can, you know, with the right tuning and setup and a little bit of work, can you can you kind of get to that same spot with a traditional shock? Or do you think that's just a, a, an advantage that those guys will always have because of what they can do? No, I, I'll, I can beat any, any car Corvette Typically, the Corvettes we look at because they're track day cars. I can make a uh, quite a bit of time up with a what I call a passive shock. 
disconnecting the, the MRs and putting ours on. Yeah, that MR net does isn't a isn't a threat to me in in the competition level of things at all. It's a it's a I'm a big fan of MR. Don't get me wrong. I I love what it can do, um, but on the racetrack, um, I mean I know it makes a thousand decisions every second and all that, but it's what you're really looking for is support and stability and very quick frequency response in very small amplitudes of motion which can be 40 you know a millimeter in motion that that's controlling grip and that's what's again that's that electrical connection back to you so um yeah mr to me is isn't i love i love the confidence (laughs) in there man like hell no i'd take them boys any day bring it let's go i'll see you at the track baby yeah man i could beat any of them with a passive shock (laughs) I tell you, it's a big, significant difference on on my car when I have it, you know, just in the different modes. So yeah, man, to, to think that he could take just a passive shock and put a spanking on it, uh, that's that's pretty. That's a hell of a vote of confidence right there. Definitely a guy I would love in my corner. I would love if you were. You should teach seminars. You should literally put on weekend seminars at tracks and let people bring their cars there. I'd sign up definitely. Yeah, no, it's it's been mentioned. I- I suppose <laughs> you got other things going on. Yeah. You got a few things going on, like every kind of race vehicle off road, you name it. This guy's in it. So yeah, to show up on some little Saturday, uh, you know, open track day might not have enough time for that, but you know, I, I, I enjoy those. My days of traveling around the world and the GPs and all that. I, I, I have much more enjoyment now going to the local kind of the grassroots level. Cause it's, it's, it's it's harder to work in some of those bigger situations now with just a team of 25 engineers all coming at you if the car's not quick enough with you know basically a wrench <laughs> chasing you why it's just it's it's harder to it's harder to to do the the bigger series now just because the level of sophistication and electronics and data acquisition and then engineers looking at one little component on the car at any given time A shock can cure a lot of things, but it can't cure everything. So Jeff Ryan, J-R-I Shocks, where do people find you uh, on social media, on Facebook and online? J-R-I Shocks. Look at that. I'm not a big social media person, but that's just our, that's our tagline. Either, you know, hashtag J-R-I Shocks or whatever the the symbol is. Yeah, jrishocks.com is where we like to send people, and we'll send them there. Jeff, thank you so much for your time, man. Definitely appreciate it. So there you guys go, man. Jeff Ryan, the man, vice president of engineering at JRI Shocks. Dude, I'm telling you, that was such that was such a wealth of knowledge. Just lathered up in it, man. I'm just scribbling down notes still, yeah, still from what he said. <laughs> like some of the fog. Some of the fog is lifted, you know? Like I still can't see straight. But, you know, it's clear. The sun is out a little bit. I think I got something. You know, I'm ready to go try things at my next track day, you know? I'm ready to not screw up a few things that I probably would have anyways. This is good, yeah. man. I'm stoked. No doubt. All right. Well, look, don't forget about our show, you guys. Airing weekends on Motor Trend Network. Check your lo- local listings. Episodes also now streaming on Motor Trend On Demand. Thanks again to our guest, Jeff Ryan from JRI Shocks. My man, Kevin Bird. I'm Willie B., our producer of Scoop, and our executive producer, Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com. Share your thoughts with us on social, because we're everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Now, Two Guys Garage Podcast is a copyright 2020 Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. All right, we'll see you on the next 
Two Guys Garage Podcast. Y'all take care. Two Guys Garage Podcast is produced by Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.